Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 243, Human Growth and Development with Professor Mark Hunter. I hope you listen and enjoy. Welcome to Unit 7, our final unit in Psychology 243, Human Growth and Development. In this area, we're going to look at physical, cognitive, and mental health issues of older adults and also the period of death and bereavement. Chapter 14 in your textbook uh, is entitled The Personal Context of Later Life, Physical, Cognitive, and Mental Health Issues. What are older adults like? And uh, as we've gone into uh, new uh, healthcare initiatives and new medications and things, the number of older adults is growing rapidly, uh, especially for those who are over 85. And, um, and so there's going to be an increased number of uh, people over 85, and, and they're going to be more diverse than they've ever been before. Average life uh, expectancy has increased dramatically over the past century, and usually this is due to health care. Now, you may have heard stories where people lived to be in their 40s or 50s, you know, in a century or two ago, and that was always the average. That was because there was more infant mortality, you know, children died uh, younger, and uh, people didn't live as long because of the uh, healthcare and medical advancements that uh, a lack of those. But now we have people, uh, more people are able to achieve uh, old age than uh, in the past. And so I think the maximum age that we've had in recent times is like 124 years a woman in France was able to live. But um, an active life expectancy is not just living long, but living without the debilitating disease, and um, as opposed to living a life with chronic. We, we have the ability to, to keep people alive uh, for many years, but um, the question then becomes what type of life are they leading? Um, a lot of factors can play a role in determining how long someone lives. One is genetics. You know, um, you may, your grandparents or great-grandparents may have lived to be in their 90s or 100 or something, and maybe there's, um, or there could be, um, you know, people in your family may have certain type of diseases. Uh, it also depends on the environment you live in. You know, what kind of toxins or pollutants or lifestyle you have. Usually women have a longer life expectancy than men. Um, different ethnic groups have different life expectancies depending on their situations and culture. Um, we, this is often referred to as the third age um, that, um, that has led to a lot of medical, cultural, economic advances for older adults. Um, and, um, and this is kind of referred to as young old where someone is maybe in their 70s or above and they're able to achieve um, 
you know, still a lot of things, still be in good health gradually. The fourth age is really what's referred to as old, old, or the oldest age. And they've, they really are at the limits of their functional capacity. And this is when the age when cancer, dementia, and other illnesses uh, are increasing. The, um, there's different theories about why we actually age. Um, some of them are based off the rate of metabolism. Some are the limits of cell division, um, especially the roles of telomeres, which are the very ends of your chromosomes, the, um, and that they get shorter and shorter as we get uh, older, and then they're unable to, uh, to multiply after a certain age. Uh, so there's lots of different theories. Not one has been determined to be um, the only correct theory. It's still being addressed by lots of scientists. Um, another area is uh, in our neurons, what we call neurofibrillary tangles. Uh, our neurons have dendrites at the end, and those are the, the little like fingers that send neurotransmitters across from one neuron to the next. And unfortunately, there can be where these become tangled up as we age. And this can have an effect on, especially with people with Alzheimer's. As we get older, the risk for cardiovascular disease increases. Uh, this could be a buildup of uh, deposits on our arteries. Um, it could be a decrease in the amount of blood that our heart can pump, a uh, decline in the muscle tissue. It can also lead to what we refer to as transient ischemic attacks. Um, sometimes people call these little mini strokes where they're able to uh, um, occur where there's an interruption in the blood flow. Um, a lot of these can be uh, sourced to the lifestyle we have, the food we eat, you know, our physical activity, meaning that we can have an influence on these by uh, particular physical activity and the food that we eat. As we get older, our vision and hearing um, changes occur. We can, uh, there's a variety of different uh, uh, vision problems that occur. Presbyopia is just the idea that as we get older, we need, if you've never needed glasses before, you might need glasses, and uh, even if it's just for reading. Um, and uh, so it can, um, our eyes start to show some decline and uh, the acuity. And so we're also our ears. If you, um, as you get older, you're have a, you're unable to hear higher frequencies. And so if um, you are with someone in a, watching television or listening to music or something like that where um, younger people children are able to hear some of the higher frequencies that maybe then an older person could older people uh, experience a high rate of chronic diseases chronic diseases are diseases that are um, long term there's not really a cure for them um, diabetes is one of them cancer uh, occurs which are frequently in older adults. Usually as we get older we have sleep disturbances. We, um, uh, we have, you know, it's tougher to get a good night's sleep. The, um, 
as we get older, we, we may not have the need for some of the vitamins that we needed when we were younger and we had a higher metabolism, but um, we do have to be careful about uh, what we do eat and uh, not to bring on uh, uh, diabetes as we can get older. And uh, so what are the type of activities um, or other diseases that may occur? Our processing speed, how quickly we can think through things um, it declines. You may have noticed that um, particularly with much older drivers, they may have uh, you know, the, um, less in their ability to make quick changes in decisions when they're driving. And uh, also, um, but if you continue to practice something and keep at it, you know, you can still stay strong in those areas. Um, as we get older, we may be less able to devote our attention to different things, uh, multitask. And um, anytime we multitask, we're, we're taking our attention and dividing it up into different areas. But as we get older, we tend to be less able to do a variety of things at the same time. Our working memory declines a little bit, um, meaning that if you are able to recall an episode that happened earlier, um, the um, or maybe that tip of the tongue you experienced, you know, you can't quite remember um, the name of someone or something or an event that happened. Um, so these things are normal. These things. So if someone is struggling to remember a name or an event doesn't mean that they have dementia, doesn't mean they have Alzheimer's, it just is uh, something that is naturally occurring. Um, and uh, But if someone is unable to remember names and faces on a continual basis, of course, it's important to have a medical checkup. During, as we get older, um, you know, all of this can be susceptible to depression. Um, the, um, it can be because of changes in physical health, your environment, you know, a variety of reasons. Um, and so older adults, when they describe depression, usually it's a loss of something that they've had earlier on and that they, uh, they're missing. And um, maybe they, they feel like the future ahead doesn't have as many opportunities for them. Um, anxiety is different from uh, depression. Uh, there's anxiety deals more with fears, and so um, it can still be treated just like with all um, people of all ages with uh, certain medications can be through psychotherapy. Certain relaxation techniques can be valuable in helping people address anxiety as well. Dementia is really a term that covers a lot of uh, cognitive uh, diseases that um, impair our cognitive abilities. Alzheimer's is probably the most well-known, and uh, that's a form of irreversible dementia. If someone's been diagnosed with, uh, with Alzheimer's, at this time we don't have a cure for that. Um, that is shown through memory impairment, um, sometimes their personality changes, their behavior changes, um, and uh, but um, and it can be either really a slow decline or sometimes it can happen rather quickly, depending on the individual. 
Parkinson's disease is um, can be marked by uh, tremors in your hands or difficulty walking. Um, it can also develop into a form of dementia. Um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy is um, can be the result of a head trauma of people have uh, fallen down or been involved in an accident, and uh, so that can be a uh, or as we've seen, heard in the news the last few years, people involved in, in sports that have related to head injuries like football or, or uh, other types of sports where they've had repeated concussions. Our last chapter is dying and bereavement, both as what that experience is like as someone who is going through that dying and, and losing someone as well. For most of our history, we declared death as just absence of a heartbeat, and so um, lack of a pulse. Now we look at death as really a whole brain death, and it's based off specific criteria that is held in a medical setting where they, uh, healthcare professionals are really determining if someone is brain dead. Now you can be in a persistent vegetative state um, where someone is unresponsive to any stimuli, but uh, that always be, can be ethically or morally a difficult decision to make for the family involved, um, whether someone is able to still receive life uh, support. Euthanasia is when there's um, a decision to, to end life, and it can be either active where you deliberately end life, such as turning off the life support system, where you're actively going through and um, unplugging the machine, as what they have said in the past, or you passive euthanasia is ending someone's life by withholding treatment. Um, deciding, I don't want to get this. If I'm ever in that physical state, I don't want you to try to resuscitate me, or I don't want you to try to feed me, you know, through tubes or anything like that. And so these are uh, difficult choices for both patients and families to go through. Um, now, there's another area that's come up recently called physician-assisted suicide where it's addressed, I think there's only just a handful of states that allow this, where um, if a person who is usually terminally ill makes their wishes known to a physician and um, they have to make, there's a series of steps that they have to go through and the physician provides them some uh, drug that uh, effectively ends their life. So, when we think about death, um, the, um, we've mentioned before that when you're a teenager, you have this sense of immortality, like it's not going to happen to you. Um, when you get middle age, you, um, you may experience the death of your parents. And you start to think about maybe your own mortality in the future, in years ahead. Maybe you uh, start thinking about maybe some plans, but as we get older and we realize that death is, Im or 
maybe not imminent, but you know, we live more life of our lives than we have left. Um, we become more generally become more uh, accepting of it and less anxious about it. Um, psychologist named Elizabeth Kubler Ross really did um, the work in understanding how people think about their own death. And she was interviewed people who were terminally ill, and she talked to them through their illness and asked them about what their thoughts or feelings were. And she came up with the five stages of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And the thing is that um, you may be in one stage at one time and go back to, you may be in acceptance, you may go back to anger. Or, you know, so it's not that it's necessarily chronological and that people are just um, eventually working through all these stages. What they found is that you can go into different stages at different times. Um, the contextual theory of dying says that you have to emphasize the task a dying person must face. Um, your bodily needs, your psychological security, your interpersonal attachment, and spiritual energy. Um, it's not uncommon for people as they get near to death to really um, reinvigorate their relationship with God, to think more about their relationship um, and their, their eternal life. An option for people who are terminally ill is hospice. And what hospice is, is it can be either a location or it can be uh, provided to someone in their home. And it can, what it means is that you're no longer treating the disease. You're providing what we call palliative care. You're providing care for that individual to reduce their pain, to make them as comfortable as they can. So pain management is really um, one of the primary ways that uh, people um, are, their needs are met through hospice. End of life issues are decisions that have to be made, and such as a living will or power of attorney, such as that um, if I'm in a situation where I'm physically incapacitated, I'm unconscious, I can't make decisions for myself, this is what I want to happen. This is what, or I'm giving this authority for my spouse or children or whoever to make decisions for me. And um, it can be a specific request. A lot of times uh, cancer patients may have a heart attack or something and they've said, do not resuscitate. If I'm ever going in cardiac arrest or anything, don't bring the paddles and try to revive me, just allow me to pass. Um, so it's um, anytime you go into a uh, hospital, the hospital has to give you that opportunity to, um, you know, to give you the opportunity to decide a living will or power of, um, power of attorney and things like that. Grief is when a person is when we've lost someone and it's the process of coping with loss. And we have to confront that reality of loss of that person is really gone, the emotional turmoil that it happens, adjusting to the environment without that person being there, and loosening your ties with the deceased. 
um, when death is anticipated, when you know someone has a terminal illness, it um, they go, our family, our friends go through anticipatory grief. They start experiencing that before someone's actually passed. Um, if someone dies unexpectedly, an accident, or you know, whatever variety of reasons, it's much more difficult for someone to handle if you've not had any uh, chance to prepare for it. When we turn, we use the term grief recovery. Recovery may be a difficult term, a misleading term, because if we have a loved one in our lives, we're never really going to fully recover from having that person gone. And that doesn't mean we can't continue on with our life and still have joy and happiness in our life, but a part of our life's gonna be different. And, um, and so that adjustment to that loss of that person really is something that continues. Um, and again, the way that someone died, the, um, the personal factors, what your relationship with that person was, the support you have really has a lot to do with how well someone goes through the grieving process. Um, I mentioned about anticipatory grief, but it doesn't make it easier. If you know that somebody that you love is dying of cancer, it doesn't mean that once they died, you've already done all your grief work. It, that awareness that person is no longer in your life, really, uh, you, you still have to go through that grieving process. You just started it earlier when someone had an unexpected death. We often call this grief work because it is work. Uh, it usually takes more time than what people allow. You know, we if someone's lost someone, we kind of expect them to get back at it and, and carry on relatively soon. And it doesn't work that way. In fact, um, it takes about a couple of years before you're starting to remember that person with less pain. You have to go through that first birthday, that first holiday season, that anniversary of their death. And when you do that again, and you feel less pain than you did the first time, then you know you're making some progress. Um, but um, grief is not a mental illness. It's just a natural part of life. It's just something that we all are, uh, will engage in if we have relationships. We, um, it involves sorrow, sadness. We will struggle with it. We'll deny it at times, disbelief. Maybe you feel some guilt. Uh, and so different cultures have different ways that they deal with grief. And uh, some have many more ceremonies. And, and uh, we tend not to have that in Western culture, but uh, other than the funeral. Ambiguous loss refers to situations of loss in which there's really no resolution or closure. Um, this refers to the types of a person who is missing, is physically absent, but still very much present psychologically to the family and friends. Um, the second one is when someone is psychologically absent, but still physically present. And uh, so if, you're, um, uh, if your relationship with someone goes to that, it's where you're, you're dealing with, there's not a way to, for them, they're either gone physically or psychologically, but not both.
complicated grief involves symptoms of separation, distress, and traumatic distress. Um, separation distress is a preoccupation with the deceased that interferes with everyday experiences. Someone who's lost a loved one, spouse, a child, and they seem not to be able to get past that. Their life is really kind of set up as a memorial to that person. And they may continually to blame themselves or feel guilty. What could I have done more? Disenfranchised grief is a feeling where the loss is downplayed to others in a very personal social network. We feel like we have to put on a good face. Um, and sometimes as Christians, we do this. We feel like, you know, they're in a better place and that's good enough and we'll uh, go on. And we often will say that to someone. If you know someone that's really lost, has lost someone, be careful about giving out these things like they're in a better place. Um, recognize that people have gone through a loss and walk with them. Be with them as they go through this time. This ends our lessons. I, we've covered conception to death. And uh, hopefully you've learned quite a bit. Now, all these videos are doesn't cover everything in your textbook or your assignments or your quizzes. So you need to make sure that you're engaging with your textbook throughout this class.